Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I am Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with 49 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times. Mm -hmm. The stuff of real life, and we've had some. Right. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure, it can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Right. Well, good to be here today. And I think one of the things that I realize about these shows is that we take things from our own experiences as caregivers in the past week. And through that, we gain some new empathy, some new understanding um, that we didn't have the week before. And uh, this has been, for you and for your family, it's been a pretty active week and a half. Uh, for me, it's been, it always is active, taking care of my wife and helping others. Um, and last night especially was a rough night for my wife. And I took care of her, but I took a nap today. And they say I recovered nicely. I'm glad because I was sure tired this morning going to work. But anyway, that's part of the caregiving experience. And... Uh, one of the things that I uh, that I I had a nice experience yesterday too. I finally um, the, our team of caregivers gave me a three hour break. So self care. Yeah, self care, respite care. Yes. And I didn't realize until I took it that I really hadn't done it in a long time. And I, of course, I'm coming from Newark, New Jersey, New Jersey. I'm a Frank Sinatra fan, to say yes. the least. Yes, it's a requirement where we yes, work. Yes, he was like an icon Frank. in our growing up. <laughs> I wake up, I have everybody in our institute waking up to Frank Sinatra. We can all sing Everyone. along. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> Every morning. Yeah. So um, anyway, I got a ticket to hear uh, a Frank Sinatra show, a, per a personator, very, very good, with an incredible orchestra here in Santa Rosa. And um, after I got over my critical New Jersey perspective <laughs> on Frank Sinatra and what this guy is, he turned out to do a really nice job. And the orchestra couldn't have been better than, they just sounded just like Nelson Riddle when Frank Sinatra worked with them. So it was very, very good. Um, the interesting thing was the place was packed. And I think the average age in that place had to be 80. Mm. And there mm -hmm. were so many elderly folks in wheelchairs and being taken care of by caregivers and uh, walkers and I gotta tell you um, I felt so much empathy and sweetness seeing them it brought tears to my eyes I couldn't mm. help it I'd look over at one lady and she was she really was in a wheelchair and but she had sparkling sneakers on oh. and she was up in the front rows with where I was, and I was so touched. Yeah. And on the intermission, I went over and um, spoke with her, and it was it was that kind of uh, change in my being that has occurred by being a caregiver, and uh, it's very it's, it's really penetrating, you know. Mm -hmm. It's reduced me to being a very heartfelt, caring human being. Um, through all the ups and downs of being a caregiver, watching my wife struggle, helping other people going through the struggling, 
but uh, it's come through a lot of pain, and which is still happening. But boy, the compassion and love I feel for other people struggling and their families is, I was watching myself going through this, and I was thinking, boy, have you changed? And in fact, on the intermission, I went over and spoke with the lady with the sparkling sneakers, and I just felt so touched and blessed just to talk to her, and it meant so much to her. And mm -hmm. that's one of the things I said. Frank Sinatra meant a lot to a lot of people. I, you know, I, I'm remembering that you have a couple of live recordings, and in some of them, the women are screaming. That was in the younger days. Yeah, younger <laughs> they're days. not screaming, but they're wearing sparkling sneakers. Yeah, and that's well, very sweet. It was cute. Um, but it's, you know, I, it's funny, I was sitting here right next to a couple of relatively younger women. They were 70, so they mm -hmm. were, and they had still, were in pretty good shape. And when I came back after I, I mean, I heard them say, that was so sweet. And they said it from their hearts. Yeah. That, um, and I realized it, yeah, I feel that way. And I think they do too. Um, so it was a really wonderful show and, um. Uh, reaching out to the audience. At one point, the guy asked if there were any birthdays in the play. <laughs> there were birthdays, and they were in, up there. Uh -huh. And then he asked about any anniversaries, and uh, the anniversaries of all is 60 years plus. Oh. So it was very touching, and it was sweet. And, uh, and I, I loved being there, and it was special, and I was very grateful to be there. And then I had to come home and um, face the difficulties, and they were starting they were, it got to be a t tough night. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it helped me for a while. i got to say, um, I wished in my heart of hearts that my wife could be with me. And she was in my heart because we used to do all those things together. Um, and I missed her. Yeah. And I know she would have... Well, she doesn't love it like a guy from Newark, New Jersey loves Frank Sinatra, <laughs> but she liked it. She used to be right there with me. Yes. <laughs> and she enjoyed it, too. Um, but I, I missed her, and uh, but when I came home, mm -hmm. I realized we had some difficulties that we were going to have to face, and boy, was it true! Because yeah. we went right through the night till the morning. You have talked in the past about how it feels sometimes like a roller coaster. It is, and everyone I talk to, that's a caregiver or a family member, or someone going through strokes, or dementia, or Alzheimer's, says the same thing about the severity of the, the roller coaster ride. Interesting, I did see people that we knew there yesterday and they were going through it with their mother. Mm. And uh, actually it was Dora Lee is her name. Remember oh, Dora yes. Lee? Oh yes, I, And she, yes. they had just placed their, uh, her mom in a assisted living in Montana where she was from. Mm -hmm. And I remember Dora Lee was really struggling as a caregiver, she's a very caring person, but she didn't have much support or understanding of what it takes to be a good caregiver mm -hmm. and she was hurting when we saw it when I saw it not yesterday but while she was struggling with her mom and what it was taking out of her I realized Dorley was in trouble mm -hmm. um, not her fault she's a very caring mm -hmm. person but when I saw her she was burning out it was serious and uh, she looked a little better they just placed her mom there uh, I think they felt some relief mm-hmm uh, not everybody can do this. No, sometimes that is the right choice. Yeah, it, oh, definitely. Yeah. But, you know, one of the the uh, templates or the, the thing that we're plugging into a lot is adversity. 
and difficulty in life. And uh, some people are called to do it as a profession. Um, other people, life hits them, and <laughs> they're in adversity and struggle whether they like it or not. I think most of us would rather avoid it, let's be honest, because um, it's such a difficult part of life. And there's so much pain and struggle and grief and loss and, oh my gosh, lots of things. But one of the things we've talked about is how adversity eventually, even with the most motivated and empathetic caregiver, they're called empath, the personality type, um, it, it strips you eventually down to your very core of who you are. And you wind up looking at yourself and seeing yourself, the good and the bad of yourself, um, and the defenses seem to be broken down when you're caring for people that are really struggling, facing life, dying, and death. Yeah. It affects us. Um, the energy that we put out as caregivers um, uh, is 100%. And you can't expect that they're, you know, the people you're taking care of are going to take care of you. They're, they're sick and they're dying. But it's, a, it's an act of love. It's an act of nourishing and caring and nurturing. Very sacrificial. Very selfless and sacrificial and very fulfilling. Yes, it can be. Extraordinarily fulfilling. Very much so. And um, in fact, we know that we have some of our staff who said this. It's helped them become the people they were meant to be. Mm -hmm. And they're very fulfilled and grateful, although... I'm thinking of Hello, she works so hard, like we all do. Mm -hmm. But from where she started to where she is today, she is one loving, sacrificial caregiver. And she's also an incredible cook. So, and, and I appreciate that. But um, I've watched her, I've watched that. She has come a long metamorphosis way. And yes. boy, is she loving and sacrificial and giving. Mm -hmm. Beautiful to watch. Some people, you know, like Jenny, I mean, she is loving and sac that's the kind of person she is anyway. Um, and I think I am too, certainly way farther than I was before. But certain people, they're not, they don't seem to be that way at all. And you watch the experience of being a caregiver and what can happen to these people. They can certainly burn out and become embittered and resentful, or they can begin to grow and become the people they were always meant to be. Mm -hmm. And it's through the adversity and struggle. Of course, there is so much to learn about how to survive this experience without letting it destroy you. Um, it's an ongoing challenge. It's not once and for all you got the answer. And that's what we specialize in is self-care. Um, they call it uh, taking a respite, finding ways to take care of yourself. It doesn't mean that what you're going to come back to face is any different or any better. It means it gives you a kind of a, a second wind. It helps you get back on your feet. We feel that it is essential and really important, and I can speak from personal experience, and I know Jenny can too, she looks better today, mm -hmm. but she was exhausted. Yes. Um, the thing that strikes me is our resilience. Um, it just, excuse me, it blows my mind that we can get back on our feet after being so depleted and so exhausted. Um, I was up with Lynn all night, and uh, I certainly woke up when I woke up bleary-eyed, and I knew I had to come back to work. And I was, this one was rough because um, I was sleep deprived but you know what everybody said why don't you take a half an hour nap I was amazed I took it and I was feeling like a new person so the resilience really I'm blown away and everybody that we work with has that resilience 
It's something we've had to develop, and I know you've worked on it and developed it all through your career, the ability to work through what you've taken on and be able to come back for the people who are counting on you to be there for them. And you've taught that to us, and it's a it's a, a kind of resilience that we've been talking about in our lo- on, on our podcasts. Um, there's some interesting things that it's not what everyone thinks right off the bat, but uh, let's come back to that. Okay. Is right. there, are we on a break? We are. We Where's are. the sign, Steve? Steve is so subtle. He's so relaxed and subtle you didn't see it. Wow. He's usually so tense. I'm going, wow. Yeah. This is so relaxed over in that corner behind the cameras. Give him technology and he's a happy human being. Yeah. So I didn't feel any tension at all. I didn't even know we're on a break. (laughs) No. So I was just trying to gently segue us into this. Okay. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. In our first segment, we were talking about, I guess the lighter thing we were talking about was the Frank Sinatra concert that Peter enjoyed yesterday. Um, We were also talking about the experience of caregiving and as a kind of adversity that, that can strip us down to who we are deep down inside, our good side, our bad side, our struggles, our, our triumphs, um, we are serving with compassion mm-hmm. in a sacrificial way, mm-hmm. and it takes commitment and resilience, and what else? What other kinds of things does it take to be able to continue on this? We talked about it being a roller it's a coaster. Cer- I'll say this. It's a certain personality type. Honestly, it's the empath. I, I believe that. Because I've seen other people try it and it doesn't work. In fact, they disappear. Or they grow very resentful and uh, embittered and blaming the world, feeling sorry for themselves. I've seen enough of that too during this time. I've learned a lot about the world of caregivers, the profession. I call it a semi-profession, but these people who are called to do it. And So I've seen the good and bad of it, and I continue to. I know you and I are learning, and we're all learning. Our team is learning. We have an incredible team. We don't have turnover. Everybody is solid as a rock, but we take care of our own. Mm-hmm. I hear, well, you've heard it too, that you go to agency level, their turnover rate is 80%. To me, that is a red flag, a huge red flag. When I heard that, I'm going, something is very wrong about um, how things are being run. And also, these, these agencies emphasize money. And we've seen a lot of caregivers, particularly from other cultures, get very caught up in the American ambition of money. It's not enough. You can't do this just for money. No. And I know that a lot of people lose their way. And uh, we've seen with these turnover rates at 80%, they emphasize paying them well and giving them benefits. They still have an 80% turnover rate. We don't have 8% turnover rate. So I look at that, and I know we can offer a whole lot more that's, that's been going on. And we want to improve mm-hmm. the profession. We want because it's a deserving – caregivers are a deserving grouping of people. They really are. They're giving – most of them are giving their all. And uh, they're, they're in, immersed in a part of life that most of us 
would like to run away from and pretend that it doesn't exist, particularly in the United States. Um, but these folks are working in it. They accept it. Their culture, it's been part of their culture from their birth to take care of elderly and sick and dying and desperate. So for them, it's a way of life. Either that or they've had a personal experience in their family, someone that they knew who can't, went through something potentially catastrophic with their health. And they are now seeing life differently. Okay. That's what we're going to talk about today. I haven't met a caregiver yet that hasn't had a traumatic past of one kind or another. I haven't met one. And that opens us up to something. Um, that opens us up to being what we call triggered. And that means this is exhaustive work. I mean, you're going to be exhausted. You're going to be broken down. You can't help it. You're giving, you're giving so much. You're absorbing some of the energies of the person you're caring for and their struggles, the pain you're seeing that you go through watching their struggles, the pain they may be experiencing. It's difficult. Um, but when we do that, it, it wears us down. We get tired. There's a thing called compassion uh, exhaustion, uh, uh, right? Am compassion I? fatigue. Compassion fatigue. <coughs> yeah, fatigue, it is exhaustion. It's exhaustion. But it's not permanent, and it's not destructive. It can become that. Mm -hmm. But we all go through it. My God, it's an exhausting job, and it's uh, we're giving so much. But here's the thing. If you have a past, and we all do, and there's trauma to it that even has brought us to being as committed to caregivers as we are and the folks we know who are. Mm -hmm. That possibility of it drawing up and our experience with someone we're taking care of in bad shape, it drawing out our own pain. Being reminded, having that come back in some, some situation, something that happens, something that we see or hear, and a part of our past comes and back. Absolutely. And so does what they call the emotional content of the experience, too. Yeah. So it means here you are, you're taking care of someone, and as we're being broken down, tired, and whatever, the chances of that happening are almost 100%. So we feel that this is an important, a key factor in um, preserving and creating resilience for caregivers and people who are involved, families who are involved in taking care of a loved one. So we, we wanted to spend the time, we've written, a, honestly, we have manuals that we've written. And my short-sightedness is after we finish the training that we do, even if it goes on a year, I forget about it and put it on a shelf and I forget. And they are such worthwhile pieces of work that we've done. We have one manual that we put together for combat crisis treatment teams, right? Mm -hmm. For Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, nurses, doctors, yeah. uh, all kinds of better caregivers. Um, so we wrote this, we put together this manual to help them. They were burned out, when we, we met most of those folks. This is back east. Yep. Um, and we were called, uh, we, we had a contract for a year to help folks that were just shot physically emotionally compassion fatigue and some burnout and I think. burnout and yeah. these were good folks who had been through seen so much yeah. so we were brought in we weren't i remember we were not told the extent of the damage no we weren't given a clear wound. picture of what was happening we got a clear picture right but in it about came three clear hours, quickly yeah and we knew that what we were told to develop for them wasn't going to meet their needs and we rewrote no. the whole thing to meet their needs and it worked for most um, but we've also learned a lot since. Mm -hmm.
But after we finished that contract, I, we put it away and we forgot about it. I know. We kind of went on to other things. We have so much going on. That's what we tend to do. We write yeah. papers, books. The, 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 guess what? We forget about what we've done. Yeah. But interestingly, as a uh, being so immersed in the world of caregiving, we've gone back to uh, a lot of our work and it applies significantly. Very much so. Yeah. So we've looked at that and we refer to it and um, we're taking out of our manuals a lot of what we wrote about self-care and what empathic type people who are caregivers need to pay attention to and realize what it's going to take to stay resilient and growing and healing themselves and uh, coming back in better shape than when they take a break. These are all things that you would think everybody knows about. We don't think that most of them I don't have. think so, no. I, don't I think most people, and we hear this, is most people say, well, you just keep going. You just kind of tough yeah, it out yeah. until you get to your vacation, and then maybe you let down. We've seen that a lot. And then, yeah. It doesn't work. Um, in fact, it's a setup for real burnout and pain mm-hmm. um, by making those kind of choices. A lot of cultures, I think the Fijian culture is like that, tough it out i have good mm-hmm. friends are fijians and that's what they do they're lovely good people their belief is just that's life tough it out and our thinking to them and these are our friends who go uh-uh yeah you can you can put you can go through it but you're gonna have to deal with the things that you are carrying inside you that have been stimulated they're not going to go away and if you don't and you keep this up you're not going to make it and we've seen too many of those already too so we've also seen, but I have friends. Um, I, uh, Marissa's husband's a fat Peter. I love him. Mm-hmm. He's a tough guy. He's mm-hmm. a rugby player and stuff, and he's a caregiver. And he, that's his attitude. That's life, Peter. That's what yeah. his name's Peter too. Yeah. That's life. Tough it out. And I go. I know tough guy. I got the same attitude. But yeah, it's not going to work over the long run. You home. can have respect for the work ethic, and we do. And we do. But we also know that you can't keep going without working through some of what's been absolutely. And we're, we haven't said the word yet, so I'll say it that we're talking about triggering. Triggering. And uh, honestly, I want to tell you, I could identify with Peter really fast, Marissa's Peter, very quickly. But I, it's it's like brethren with bad attitude. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, hey, Peter, I know, too. I get it. We've been there. I'm there. <laughs> I got the attitude, too, but yeah. it's not enough. We'd all love to be absolutely bulletproof, I and would. we're I not. I would, too. And he's an angel. He's a good man. He is a good man. So um, that's <laughs> Peter and Peter have attitude problems about that. <laughs> but this is the kind of work that if you really look at it closely, it will change you. For the better. For the better. If, but it, it won't is, always feel like that. No. In, In fact, fact, emotionally, we go through exactly the same thing that anyone else does. It's painful. We're filled with fears. We're filled with anger and frustration and helplessness and uh, anxieties and uh, oh, sadness and sorrow and grief, just like everybody else who goes through this. So the difference is, well, that's good. We're like everybody else, but most people don't want to do this and they can't. So what's the story? The resilience comes through knowing how to, we call it processing, but that's too psychological. It's working it out. It's working through the emotions and knowing emotions really aren't giving you a clear picture of the reality. Um, if they say, well, you're sensitive and you're feeling. No, we're not talking about a normal felt state. That's what they call it. Um, 
was it Eugene, G- uh, what's his name? Genlin. Genlin wrote a book called The Felt State. Mm-hmm. And he was right. Uh, we're talk- When you're talking about feeling state, we're all born with that. That's part of our engineering and our, our brain work. You need that. But emotions that are a component of that aren't going to give you ever a clear picture of what's going on. In fact, it clouds and distorts a whole lot. So in this work, you can count on feeling emotional. You can count on it building up through all the challenges you go through. So the key really is, well, then what do we do about it? And that's a good question. I spent a lifetime and a career learning about what to do about it. And I'll be honest with you. Once I reached the caregiving stage with my own wife, Lynn, what a challenge that was. Taking, <clears throat> excuse me, for taking 49 years of experience and going, I don't know enough because this is tearing my heart out. And I love her so dearly and I feel so helpless. So it made me face myself and none of us like to feel powerless. None of us like to feel that we don't have the control of a situation. And none of us like to witness someone, you know, dying. And it's terrible when you love someone to see this. But we don't have all the control. And we, yeah. always, we can't always do anything other than love them through it, make them comfortable, feeling safe, taking care of the basics that they need to have taken care of. That, for us, that's about the best we can do. Um, so it's, a t- it's tough to be confronted with that. And tough guys like Peter, Marissa's Peter, and me mm-hmm. really struggle with something like that because we want to do good and we want the control and we want to make, we feel like we're macho men and we should be able to make do. Well, that only goes so far, really. Um, it, takes some, it takes so much more than that. And facing that we don't have the ultimate power and that we can't turn things around and things are way beyond us and we just have to ride this out with our loved ones and people we care for. That's the challenge. Is that going to bring up our own traumas and our own pain from our past? I'll guarantee it. Yes. I'll put it in writing to you. It will. So the key really is, and what we want to make as a theme for this show and others is, well then, what is triggering what does it involve? How do you recognize it? How do you deal with it? What gets in the way of dealing with it? Um, what, is it what does it feel like? What is triggering? How do you even know? Well, you know, triggering is an interesting thing because what it will do is, we used to call it in uh, psychology a long time ago, state-specific triggering, which situations that were similar to something in our past will all of a sudden bring out... It, it, emotions and experiences from our own past that we may have think we have they're way behind us we buried it or the we worked that out a long time ago well here's how it really works it begins to draw it out and draw it to the surface again um, if we're not aware that it's happening it, our reactions on our um, can be totally when I say reactions I mean mm-hmm. not responsive but rea- can be totally off in the present because we begin to react and respond like from the past. We're living in the past and the present at the at same, the same time. time. And it happens to everybody. The key yeah. really is you better be aware of it because it can distort and make things much more difficult and complicated in the present that may not have anything to do with the well-being of the people you're trying to take care of. So it's beginning to recognize, well, what does that look like? What does it feel like? Um, we, always, we always go to the body. And what it begins to feel like physically. 
and paying attention to certain things that begin to happen, the discomforts in the body. Uh, I always pay attention to it. And you'll notice that if the pain's coming up, you may not be aware of it, but all of a sudden your jaw is getting tight or your chest is getting tight um, or your energy is really filled with anxiety. And, you know, you're energized, but not in a good way. Um, and the high level of st stress is really physically manifesting itself. Um, and you're beginning to overreact to things or misreact and misunderstand what's going on. And all of a sudden you're reacting like you're in the past again. Right. And, and so what we're talking about here is we're talking about the first step when to know that you've been triggered to find out is to start to become aware and how to do that. And let's return to that. Okay, yeah. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Mm -hmm. In our last segment, we were talking about caregiving and what a challenging, painful, rewarding, exhausting, uh, fulfilling calling it can be, and that so many people come to caregiving uh, with their own history oh, of something, everywhere, everywhere. just about everyone we know, uh, which can be quite traumatic. Mm -hmm. And we talked about the hazards, which for every caregiver, this is going to happen, of something in the present as part of their life as a caregiver will remind them in some way of something that happened to them in the past and will bring up old pain and emotions and that this can be a real problem because they'll start reacting in the present in ways that don't fit and aren't really serving the people that they're there to care for. Yeah. And we were just starting to talk about how do we know, what, how can we learn about triggering and how can we know uh, that it's happened? Well, you know, I'm going to read the first paragraph. Excuse me, but it's our manual and we wrote it and it's really good. So um, let me just read something to you. Um, it's short. It says, emotional triggering is an out of proportion, much stronger than needed emotional reaction to a present-day event. It's a symptom of unresolved trauma or emotional wounding. The emotions behind your reaction could be fear, anger, guilt, shame, resentment, or hopelessness. The sensations in your body might include feeling anxious, charged up, in physical pain, drained, or exhausted. You might have trouble concentrating or remembering things. You may start to feel like you aren't... This I struggle with this one. To feel like you aren't making a difference or that your work is losing meaning for you. That I don't have. I feel that that has plenty of meaning. And the next little statement is, does this sound familiar? You could be on the road to compassion fatigue again. Um, and we, we're talking about, it says, to resolve emotional triggering, it's essential to learn to respond, not react, in stressful, difficult circumstances. So what does that mean? being uh, being responsive rather than reactive yeah mm -hmm. that's a that's a key point and yeah. and how do we get to the point where responding is the is the 
constructive way, and reacting is the more destructive, negative way. When you're triggered, the chances of being reactive are high. Take Very it from high. one of those. Yeah. Um, I had one of those. Not, I didn't provoke it, but I certainly could respond in kind to someone who was off the streets who was a wild man. And I'm not one of these guys that goes into paralysis or run away. So you can imagine how I get. <laughs> Jenny was a witness again. I know. Yeah, and um, can I help? No, no probably no, not. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, these things do happen. But the response. I thought about that afterwards, and I said, you know, I don't know what the responsiveness is when your life is in danger, and this guy is very threatening. Um, I'm actually very good in those situations, but I'd rather not be in them. No, because I had what really was happening. It was an interesting one. Anyone who gets in the way of my or our helping Lynn, mm -hmm. and they, for some reason, we haven't had it happen often, but no. when it does, forgive me, I'll take them down to get to Lynn and help her. Mm -hmm. I just have this very protective, n my number one purpose in life is making sure she's safe and cared for, and I know all the people on our team are. Not everybody is like me, thank God, but I, that's, that's, there's my trigger. Um, don't get in my way and I don't know who these people are when they come thankfully they're very very rare but they're not going to do well because they're really blocking something that I consider so important to my life and that's making sure Lynn is cared for and comfortable or that team members are assisted and you were waiting for me and somebody off the streets just went nuts on us and mm -hmm. and uh, he got scared eventually to realize, boy, did he run into the wrong person. He probably was used to intimidating people. Well, it didn't turn out that way for him. But I was triggered. Yeah, and, and, and I would, I'm, because you have been working through so many things, you were aware. I was aware. You, it didn't take you too long to be aware that you had been triggered by this man. Oh, I know. Yeah. And, um, and and that was we were talking just before the break about that being the first step that really does need to happen. It did even in the midst of it. And yeah. you're right about that because even in the midst of it he wanted me to hit him so bad. And the truth of the matter is that could happen in a split second out of who I am, but I also had another part of me going respond don't react no matter what this guy does. My response of course was to put him straight, but he was. He obviously wanted to be. Uh, you know, he, he was said, provoking. He was very provoking. I'd never saw him in my life. I didn't know where, where he was coming from, but obviously he was waiting for somebody to hit him or shoot him or something. That was one of the first things you said to me when it was over. When he was gone, you said it was almost like he wanted to be attacked, wanted he to be taken did. down. He did, and uh, and when I saw that in the, in the midst of it, I, I knew I wasn't going to hit him. I knew I was going to have to put this straight because he was threatening, very threatening. Mm -hmm. But I knew my response would be, don't hit him. Mm -hmm. um, and unless he tries to hurt any of the team members or me, we're not going to hit him. But we'll get him out of our face because we have to take care of Lynn. I could do that. Now, a couple of years ago, I probably would have hit him, at least hit him. Um, I don't just hit somebody. It would be worse. But the thing is, I realized in the midst of it, uh-uh. Mm -hmm. Had to be responded to, but not provoked. And my reactions were, he was looking for a reaction, wildly so. Um, ask me why that comes through my path every once in a while. I don't know. The universe brings it through. But anyway, we, we handled it pretty well. Um, but I, had a th I thought about it afterwards, and I thought, I did both. I could have probably just 
Well, I couldn't have ignored him because he was he was no, putting you his head through my window. You my had truck. to you had to respond. I did, and yes. it, I did respond appropriately. But you know, I thought about it afterwards, and I'm thinking, you know, um, what could I learn from that? And I really had to put some thought on it. You were triggered, and he worked on triggering you for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what could you have done differently? Uh, probably a. I haven't figured that one out yet. Actually. I do want to say though, one thing that you did do, and and I know when we talk about the things that we've written in the manual, we talk about uh, developing that awareness, mm-hmm. and then slowing down, and getting hold of that objective, yeah. some measure of being objective about what's happening now, and how what's going on inside me. That's correct. And you know what? I'm able to do that. In the midst of the heated, heated I've been good with that for a long time, truthfully. Um, but I was doing it right then. Part of me was watching this whole thing, slowing myself down and watching what he was doing to provoke. And I did handle it pretty good. Uh, I didn't resonate too bad afterwards, and I didn't, I was mad at him. I, I didn't like that. I don't like people wasting my energy. Um, and that was a waste of energy. But it had to be dealt with. I had to get the guy out of there. Something was wrong with him, and he was threatening. I can do that, but part of me was watching this and watching my reactions, to be honest with you, while I'm going through this. Mm-hmm. I'm really pretty good at those very intense crises and emergencies. This was one of them. Mm-hmm. And it, it worked out. Um, and I knew what to do. I wouldn't let him hurt any of you. I'll tell you that. That would have, and if he would have threatened you guys, that would have been different. And that would have been a response, also. It yeah. w- I just want to point out that you're talking about the difference between responding, which is constructive. There's an objective truth there. There's a real need. Reacting is where you just just uh, lose control and do just whatever it is you'd really, f- yeah, you know, whatever you, whatever feel, you like. feel like doing. Yeah. There are responses that can be very strong, but they're still the response yeah that's the, absolutely right um so that's a good that's a good point but getting back to triggering and getting back to what you can do about it and also beginning to be aware of who you are mm-hmm. what your tendencies would be we have a, we have a wonderful fellow that comes to see us and he was talking about his reactions when uh, something like that would happen and jenny knows about this one too but she works it out i've watched her do it many times is freeze they go into the stress response, and their reaction to it is to get absolutely in paralysis. I've watched my wife used to do that, and we helped get her through it. Jenny would do it. I just watched her work it out again last week on something. I did challenge her, and she worked it through. Mm-hmm. Um, this fellow that comes to see us is learning to work it out right now. I'm very impressed with him. He's a good young man, a good man. Um, but. Uh, when I look at things like that and I see that, we, there's a couple of things about that. Number one is, okay, where did that come from? And if you take that and look at it where it first started, it was a survival mechanism for sure. Mm-hmm. That they were not safe, um, that they had to protect themselves. They knew they weren't safe. Even if the emotion and the, uh, uh, the feeling reaction would be one way, there was another part of them that said it is not safe to do that. Um, it's going to make it worse, or I'm going to be criticized, condemned, rejected, whatever. It's usually very early stuff mm-hmm. called developmental trauma. We have to know. Um, Steve just flashed the sign at us. Um, you got to know where this stuff comes from. When you put it in the original perspective, you go, okay, 
It makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's not like everybody reacts the same way, but it certainly makes it understandable. The next part of it, though, is how come that's still happening and it's not working now and it's getting in the way? That will probably be part of your personal repertoire of reactions for the rest of your life in some way. I think we all have a tendency, and it, like you said, it's good to be aware of it. That's the key. Knowing yourself, knowing your own wounds, knowing your own past, knowing your what's been healed, knowing where the scars are in life. you got to know yourself. you got to know how it affects you physically, um, things like that. And what are your physical reactions to these things? And, uh, oh, yeah, I've been there a thousand times. I know that's part of me. Um, um, I watched Jenny do something. I know her, and she did great. But I watch how she react, how she shakes it off, literally shakes off the anxiety when she's scared. Um, and then she worked it through and came through really nicely. Um, did some good things for herself that day. But everybody's different. Uh um, and we got to know that's part of us. we got to know who we are. Does that mean, though, that we are cursed and we're just stuck for life and it's hopeless? No, not at all. But what it does mean is that's part of who you are. Now, if you're in a situation and it's causing some kind of emotional reactivity in you, that's not your norm of who you are when you know yourself and you're feeling it physically. Something else is going on. If you're with someone and they're communicating in a provoking way, let's say, mm-hmm. um, and your jaw is starting to get tight or your neck's starting to get tight or your breathing's getting short and shallow, and you know before that time, I wasn't feeling that way at all. What's going on here? Um, it's very interesting with people who have dementia and Alzheimer's. They can't always communicate with you, but you'll feel it intuitively and, and, and you'll feel it f- physically. That's telling you, wait a minute, this is not me. I'm picking up something energy-wise and what they're feeling and what they're going through, and it's just telling me what's going on with them. Um, it begins to different. We begin to have a boundary and differentiate our histories with its pain and trauma and the other person that we're taking care of. That's the beginning of recognition of triggering. Good. I want, to pause, I want to pause right there. I sure. want to come back to that because that's mm-hmm. essential. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to The Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And I paused, Peter, at the end of our last segment because what he said was so essential. And I want to go back to that, but let me just lead into it just for a moment. Mm -hmm. And that is that we are again talking about emotional triggering and the, uh, the essential ways to work through when we've been triggered to respond rather than react. And one of the keys that we were talking about is being able to be aware when we've been triggered and to have some objective understanding of what's happening, what our tendencies are, and how to differentiate. You were talking about differentiating our internal responses from the person we're with or the situation we're in. Right. Now, the reactivity is an interesting thing because not everybody, there's, uh, the stress response may be triggered, okay? There's there's also passive. People will go passive. Um, and uh, there's a passive or an aggressive type. I'm the aggressive type. Jenny's more the passive type. 
Does that mean they're not stimulated and the nervous systems aren't in, in triggered mode? Oh, no. It just means it's, man it's coming across differently. With the more passive person, it may look on the surface like nothing's going on, but all of a sudden there's contamination in their relationships and there's an anger, there's a defensiveness, there's a, some kind of emotional toxicity that they're projecting, and yet on the surface it looks like they're not doing very much at all. Inside, it's going, it's going on inside. Yeah. For the person like myself, we don't have to sit around wondering. It's right out there. And that's that one you don't have to worry about. It's reactivity, though, also. Um, we're talking about being aware of our... What's our natural... The word's propensity. What's our natural reactions? Does that mean uh, we're stuck there? It means we have to learn new reactions. We have to find new choices. Um, if the we have to take responsibility truthfully if we know for instance I'm going to use myself of course um, with the aggressiveness if I know that I've been triggered and I'm feeling the intensity the heat the tight jaw the tight neck the short tightness and the uh, wanting to you know strike out or whatever um, and I realize that that is not appropriate for what's happening right now there's a part of me that's an adult that watches that and goes, I know you. I know what my tendencies are. And is that really what fits now? And the answer is most of the time. Most of the time, no. So then I have to kind of make new choices. The minute I slow myself down and don't get reactive, I can begin to sort out what's fitting for the present and what belongs to my past. Now, if that material from the past is stimulated, that doesn't mean no because I've taken responsibility, I'm gonna do the appropriate adult-like response to the situation. That doesn't mean that material all of a sudden is going away and it's gonna go, it's gonna be pushed back down. It means it needs to be taken care of later. We call it pushing the pause button and that's another part of our program. Um, I don't know how much of that I wanna get into today, but pushing the pause button means you know what you're feeling, you know what you're going through physically, emotionally, and every other way, but this is not the time or place to express that or let that run rampant in, this, in the current situation. So we push the pause button, which means we're not gonna contaminate or mess the situation up now, but we better deal with that later. Otherwise, it's going to keep building into a, a toxicity that will eventually lead to burnout and resentments and bitterness and everything else. So we have to know that pause button is not permanent you can't just tough it out forever but that you've got to have things in place the ways that you take care of yourself emotionally physically and every other way that you're going to have to go back and deal with that personally because it's already been brought out and brought to the surface do we know what the really good part of it is it's another opportunity to heal some of your past yes so it's not a negative in fact in the long run it's just the opposite. It's very positive. I want to, and with that, I want to take you back to something you said just a moment ago, because it also circles back to the definition that you read from our manual, yeah. and that the triggering is an out of proportion internal reaction, sensations, thoughts, feelings, all those things, and in the people that we've worked with, our clients and patients through the years. It has been, I, my experience is it's been hard for them to understand if they're angry with someone or afraid of something that's happening. It is a challenge for them to know that all of that emotion doesn't belong right with what's happening now. It's hard for them 
to see that. They think it is what's happening Absolutely. now. And what we're saying, what we hope that we hope that people are hearing is that sometimes the intensity of the reactions and the emotionally, f- mentally, physically, because it's more intense than fits what's happening now. Yeah. You're talking about reenactments, that's what they call it, from trauma work that we, in the book that we've written, and many other people have talked about it in trauma work. But when you're in the midst of it, and you're not conscious of yourself, you you will believe that it's in the present, that this is yeah. justified. This person is doing this to me. To me. This situation is completely unfair, you know? That's right. And it doesn't fit at all. And we see that so much. I think that one of the things that really does help, too, is to have a team of supportive people um, that you trust that can pull you aside or help you with it, sort it out later, um, that they can tell you that doesn't, that's not a good idea right now and that we'll talk about it later or you'll need to have what we call a session. You'll have to get rid of that emotionality and pain of the experience. Try to get some objective perspective back. Decompress that and get yeah. it. Usually they do. The mm-hmm. people we work with, they do. But in the midst of it, many times it's hard to tell. Unless you've been doing this a long time, it's hard to tell if it's being caused by somebody else or is it part of your past. If you know yourself well enough, you'll know rather quickly that this does not fit for now. But we see many people not know that. And like you said, that means now you have the opportunity to work through whatever it is back there. That's right. Because it's plaguing you. It's a plague and it's been pushed down for whatever reasons, to to live, to survive, whatever. Um, It wasn't a safe place to work that out originally. Um, no one had the skills possibly around to show you how to work that out. It wasn't part of the family, your family's way of knowing how to deal with emotions of life. It's very common. Um, it may have been inappropriate to get into that because there were other things that wouldn't have been appropriate to do in a, you know, in certain situations at all. So you couldn't express it. So you'd have to kind of push it down mm-hmm. and that's when there's a physicality that begins to take place that kind of arms is against it and begins to hold that stuff in and hold it down and push it down well by the way that causes a lot of pain yes. physically and that's what we do a lot of the body work we do is for trauma recovery uh, we don't call it psychotherapy but it really does help to get that stuff loosened up and out and cleaned up and then you can begin to have the hope of seeing things more in the present. Now, the truth of the matter is the present situations could be very difficult and dire. There's no, We're not denying that. But we're saying, but you're going back with a fresh perspective and you're renewed, you're, you're understanding what's going on, you have some hope and some clarity of mind again. It's so nice. You can make choices, better choices. Much better. Based on what's happening now, understanding the part that you bring to it that doesn't really have to do with what's happening. And boy, is that a relief. Oh, it is. What a relief. And we've been doing that work for a long time. The trauma recovery is great for caregivers, no question about it. Also relieving the physical pain. Of those, you know, holding that stuff in causes people physical pain or numbness mm-hmm. they completely are shut off um, they disassociate they disconnect from their feelings altogether they learn to do that early um, and they keep doing it but in the meantime their bodies are deteriorating things are beginning to happen um, uh, just thinking of a fellow who we love 
and he just started a new job three, four months ago. Very stressful, very hardworking guy with an incredible work ethic. I love him. And um, we were concerned because he's working an incredible amount of hours. Um, 12 to 16 hour day. It's just ridiculous. But he's a good worker and um, and he was going to work last week and he threw up before he went to work. He thought it was food poisoning. Mm. It was the kind of stress that's beginning to build up in his system. Yeah. And he's he's exhausted. And we've been concerned that he's going to make himself sick. He didn't know that he's been holding in that kind of stress and exhaustion and that it's Ter it's terribly depleting. Mm -hmm. so, so we're looking, and he's got other things in his life too that he's dealing with. He has other stresses as well. Yeah, but he's yeah. quite a fine man, and I look forward to great things for him. But teaching him to recognize what's going on in his own body before it reaches that point is going to take some year. It's going to take some mentoring and coaching for sure. Um, and that's what we're working with him. He's a wonderful young man. We think the world of him. But that's the truth of it. We've got to mentor him. He doesn't know. And it's not his fault. Nobody ever taught him. It didn't fit the way he, he grew up in his family. They didn't have that ability to work out the feelings and emotions and difficulties of life. So he never, never had those skills. And part of him wasn't safe. That if he brought up certain things, he would have been ridiculed or he would have been criticized. And that's no good. Um, so kids know they, they know, have to shut yeah. that down. Yeah. Um, there's other kids that will go through it and their their own personal boundaries are always being um, overrun by the parents who are very over-controlling and over-involved. So it's not safe for them to show their, their true selves and they have to put the guard up because if they don't, they're going to be overrun and their part of themselves is going to be robbed and taken away. We've seen much of that. Mm -hmm. So there's reasons that these things happen. Here's the thing. You have to learn new responses you got to deal with the pain of that all because that was painful. Um, and then you're going to have to learn new responses. Do you need counseling or mentoring? I wouldn't call it counseling, but mentoring, yes. Mentoring and support of and one kind or another. consulting and support, absolutely. Yeah, someone you trust. You mentioned that before, how essential it is. Trust and someone who helps you get a little bit different perspective on yourself. Good coaches are very good with that. But, you know, good team members are good with that, too. Right, we have a team... You know, it's not Peter doing it all. I watch how the team supports each other, and it's does a great job. So we need we all we need all of that, and um, these are the kind of things that bring attention and awareness to and a consciousness about ourselves that we may not have had before. You want to be a caregiver, and you're drawn into this, or whether you want to or not, you're in it. This is something that's essential to learn and to know about. And it will prevent. It will build in a resilience and a strength that you never knew you had. It will help you be become molded into the best person you could be and are meant to be. Um, I think there's plenty of hope about it. Um, there's so much new learning to be done. Mm -hmm. That's exciting. So there's a lot of hope to it. And yet you're still going to go through all the emotions of everybody else. It's difficult stuff, but with the perspective we're talking about, you're going to come out of it a star. And the people you're taking care of are the beneficiaries. Mm -hmm. They're going to benefit with your love, your nourishment, your nurturing, your caring, your empathy, and they need that. And that's a and that's real what, plus. And that's what you want to give them. That's what they need, and that's what you want to that's give. That's what and you want to give as an empathic caregiver. And what does that do? Caregiver. It fulfills you. And then you're fulfilled. Yeah. That's right.
Thank yeah. you for that. And you you summarized, you brought it all right right together at the end. Thank you. Are we at the end? We are at the end. So that was a great Should way to I end. Should I wave to everybody out there? And then I'm going to do my little thing here. I do the Survivor's Guide Life is Made Possible Through a Grant from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3 public charity that relies entirely on donations from people like you. If our podcast and the information we provide benefits you or someone you care about, please support us by giving to Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment. Donations are tax deductible. Please go to www.sctraumatreatment.org and click on donations. You can also support us on social media. Please like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. For more information, you can go to our website, which is thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. For a question for Peter or I, you can email us at uh, Jenny at BernsteinInstitute.com or call us at 707-781-3335. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening. And again, want to say, if you have any questions, anything you'd like to know more about, please get in touch. Mm-hmm.